welcome to the Ultimate Sports Fans Podcast, a podcast for sports fans made by sports fans. Today we will be talking about the college basketball scene with one month left before the postseason, along with the NBA All-Star Game, the release of the MLB schedules, the greatest choke fest in sports world this year possibly, National Signing Day, and what the Texans should do with Deshaun Watson upon cutting J.J. Watt. Alright, we're going to kick it off with college basketball. Um, we're at the beginning of February. Well, we're more towards the mid part of February. You know, teams are really starting to build up their resume. I'm getting excited for March Madness. I don't know about you, but... uh. To start off our college basketball segment of today's show, we're going to talk about the top 16 teams, or the top four seeds in my opinion. So it's the number one team, and with the first number one seed, we have Gonzaga. Uh, pretty self-explanatory, really. Uh, it could, I could see how you could give it to Baylor, but I just have had Gonzaga number one all along. Though, if Baylor finishes the year undefeated, and so does Gonzaga, I think if you give it to Baylor just because of who, what conference they play in. You know, Gonzaga, the best team they play is BYU all, all year in conference play. But they did they did have a really good uh, non-conference schedule as they beat um, Iowa and they beat Kansas. Uh, that game against Kansas was an absolute offensive slugfest. But yeah, so that's why I got Gonzaga at number one. And then at number two, we got Baylor. Baylor's got a lot of good guys. They got um, a very athletic team. And I think that, you know, they just look very unstoppable rolling through these teams left and right. Next, we got Michigan at number three. Um, They could fall if they don't do good with COVID, you know, just getting back from COVID. They already postponed one of their games earlier this week against Illinois. They got a game this weekend against Wisconsin. We'll see if uh, if they can't beat Wisconsin. Yeah, ex- expect them to fall in the rankings quite a bit. Then next we got at the final number one seed and at the fourth overall team, I have Ohio State. They have the most quad one wins and they have, oddly enough, they've been swapped by Purdue of all teams, but, um, you know, Ohio State, they have a lot of quality wins in the most, um, in the toughest conference in college basketball, so that's why they're at number four. Number five at the first two seed, we have Illinois. Started off the year a little shaky, maybe not living up to some of the preseason expectations. They were, they fell to nine and five, but they've rebounded and they've looked very good beating some ranked teams. Of course, they beat Iowa and they beat Wisconsin. So, Illinois number five. And number six, we got Villanova. They did lose to St. John's last week. Or yeah, so that wasn't very good. That's why they fell out the the number one seeds. But they did get a nice rebound win uh, against Marquette this week. So that's why they're at number six. Number seven, we have Virginia. And Virginia has been a quality team, and I, they they haven't really lost that many bad games, so I put Virginia at number seven. Next, we have Houston, and Houston did win last time out um, 
although recently they did lose to East Carolina, so they were looking like Gonzaga for a while, just as the Gonzaga of their conference, but they lost to ECU, and they have ECU coming up again this weekend, so we'll see if they can uh, avenge that earlier loss, so they're at number eight. Then, at the first three seed, we have uh, West Virginia. They just beat Texas Tech this week, so who actually will be next on the list, so that's why I put them there. Um, they're just an overall solid team. Next, I have uh, Texas Tech, um, and they have Matt McClung, who's been really good for them this year, and he's been clutch for them, although they did just lose to West Virginia, so that's why they're behind West Virginia in my rankings at number 10. Then number 11, we have Alabama, and Alabama is a 3-and-D team with their head coach, um, Oates, finally getting the the Alabama Crimson Tide basketball team, kind of playing like their football team in some sort of way. Not number one, but like they're up there. Next, we got Virginia Tech, who have just been solid all year round. They, they beat Villanova, Villanova earlier and they've had some quality wins in conference play. So, yeah, Virginia Tech, number 12. Next, at number 13, we have Missouri. Missouri just lost Ole Miss quite convincingly, too. Like, it wasn't very good showing for them and Conzo Martin's team, but uh, we'll see if they can get it figured out in their next game. So, they're number 13. Also, they are the first four seed that I have. Right behind them, another kind of shocker team. We got Oklahoma, uh, 14th overall. I mean, they were, they had a stretch there where they were beating Texas when Texas didn't have all their players, but they were beating Texas when Texas was like ranked number fifth in the country or something like that. They also beat Kansas, so I give them. So they had some quality wins. That's why Oklahoma's at number 14. Number 15, we have USC and Evan Mobley, who have just came off a huge week of beating Stanford and UCLA. I mentioned those because they are like the, they're the other top teams in the Pac-12. And they also have a potential player on their team that could challenge Cade Cunningham for the first overall pick in the NBA draft, as they have Evan Mobley. Then at my final team in my top 16, I have Tennessee. They had a really good game the other day, and they uh they didn't lose to Kentucky as well, even though that was getting a little scary. Um, and they had a crazy poster dunk, so I uh, had to put them on number sixteen. Next, we're gonna talk about the bubble in college basketball for March Madness, and I'm gonna be using Joe Lenardi's um bracketology and look at his bubble preview. So, on the bubble, the last four buys that Lone already has is North Carolina, who I think is actually going to be, they're going to be okay, even though they had a bad, bad first um, part of the year. Like, the Blue Bloods just falling down, it seems like, but uh, they've they seem to be doing good lately. Um, they beat Duke last weekend, so that was good for their chances, horrible for Duke's chances, but... Great for North Carolina, although although they had to cancel a game against Miami because two of their players were found partying without a mask. Now, are they the first players to 
probably be partying without a mask. No, they're just the two players that um got caught on video. And I'm sure there's more players from the team there. They just didn't get caught on video. So North Carolina had a great win followed by a, a not so great decision. Next, we have Seton Hall from the Big East. And I think Seton Hall might be able to make it in just on their toughness. But they had to keep winning games in the Big East. Next, we have Drake, who could definitely like just elevate themselves up above the rest of these bubble teams if they can get a sweep of Loyola Chicago. But if they lose both games, they'll probably be looking on the outside looking in. Next, we have Boise State as the last four buys. Um, Boise State started the season off really good. Still a little late, but hopefully they can, uh, hopefully they can uh, right their ship and uh, just sail into March Madness. Next, we got VCU, and they are the last four in, so they'd have to play their way in. Uh, the VCU Rams, I think it's just like they're in the Atlantic 10 division, and I think probably like maybe three, maybe four teams of the A10 can make it in. We'll just see if, if VCU is one of them. I think St. Bonaventure would be in right now. I think maybe St. Louis. So, yeah, we'll see about VCU. Um, then next we have Stanford and Stanford's like one of the top three teams in the Pac-12. So it kind of shows how, how bad the Pac-12 really is. But anyway, um, we got Stanford in there. They have actually the leading score in the Pac-12. So maybe they can, um, make it into March Madness. Then we have another Pac-12 team and we have Oregon. Um, and next Joe Lenardi has Colorado State. As the last team in to March Madness. Then first four out we have UConn. We'll see if UConn can uh, maybe get a few more big wins in the Big East and make the tournament. We have St. Louis who is in the A10 and with VCU as uh, first four out. And Richmond another A10 team. And then Western Kentucky. And the reason why Western Kentucky is notable is because they have Charles Bassey, so he's a pretty big draft prospect. And then the next four out, we have Penn State, who has a sub-500 record, but they play in the toughest division or conference, which is the Big Ten. And then the same thing with Maryland, who just beat Purdue, so that was a pretty good first win at home for Maryland on the conference. So then next we have Syracuse, which is kind of crazy that Syracuse might now make the tournament. You know, just talking about Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State now making it. And then you also have Syracuse. It's kind of crazy. Then we have St. John's as the last team that Joe Lenardi has on the next four out. And they, they're like, they're 13-7 and they, as the time of me recording this, and they have a game, they beat Villanova last week. So we'll see if they can uh, ride that momentum into March Madness. And um, that's pretty much it for the college basketball section of this podcast. So next we're going to talk about the NBA All-Star Game and if they should play it or not. Okay, the NBA All-Star Game. Now last year's NBA All-Star Game was extremely exciting. They played to like 154. They played to a certain number at the end. And I thought that was actually really cool way to play basketball, actually. It's like, 
kind of like street ball when you play at 21. And so, uh, last year's all-star game, like, people are trying to draw charges. They're, like, complaining about fouls to the refs. Like, it was a playoff game, a regular season game. It had a lot of intensity. I remember, like, standing up watching the end of that NBA all-star game. However, will the players want to play this NBA all-star game with that same intensity if they're being forced to, or if at all? I mean, they've worked so hard just to try to keep this NBA season going without a bubble. And do they, like, they'd be the first league back with an All-Star game. So should they really do it? Some of the players weighed in, none more important than uh, LeBron. And he said, he says it's a slap in the face to the players because how how hard they've been fighting just to keep the season alive trying to stay safe from COVID and everything, and to have an unnecessary game, they just feel like that's kind of like defeating the purpose, you know, it's, they're just trying to get the season done, and also, um, NBA All-Star voting has been going on, though, of course, and, uh, Durant, you know, Giannis, LeBron, they're all leading it, and, uh, some two guards that I like, in the Eastern Conference, I think, should be easily getting votes in is Zach Levine for the Bulls, who got absolutely snubbed last year, and Bradley Beal, who ultimate snub last year. And he's just been going crazy with the Wizards, even though the Wizards haven't been able to win. He's just an unstoppable offensive force. Also, I would like to note that the Lakers fans are once again at it with Alex Caruso. Alex Caruso has made the top 10 in Western Conference vote-getter for the backcourt. It's kind of crazy when you have Shea Gildas-Alexander, who's averaging 22 points per game, five rebounds, or five assists, five rebounds, six rebounds, something like that, when he can't get in, but Alex Caruso averaging five points can get in. Anyway, that's just the, the Lakers fans... Um, voting all their players in, and maybe a little bit of a meme pick, too. So, will the Alex Caruso make it to the All-Star game? We'll see. We'll see if there even is an All-Star game. Now, we're moving on to our next topic. Okay, so uh, that brings us to the MLB News of the Week. Uh, We recently got the MLB schedule released, and we found out that it will not be a shortened 60-game season this year, and, and in fact will be a full 162-game season, spanning from East Coast to West Coast. Teams know more that you can only that you can only play if you're in the AL Central. You can only play the AL Central and the NL Central, or NL East, AL East, uh, all that stuff. So they'll be able to play normal schedule, which is. I expected that since that's what the NBA was doing, that's what the NFL was doing, that's what the hockey has been doing with no bubbles. So I kind of was expecting that for Major League Baseball. It's just good to see that was announced. Here, opening day schedule, we have some key matchups with um, White Sox and Angels. That should be exciting as the White Sox have gotten two new pitchers, Lance Lynn and Liam Hendricks. We also got a Atlanta Braves versus Philadelphia. As another headliner. And then there's four games on ESPN that day. And they are 
Toronto Blue Jays at the New York Yankees at 12 p.m. Then we have Los Angeles Dodgers at the Rockies at 3 p.m. New York Mets at the Washington Nationals at 6 p.m. And to end the day on the West Coast, we have Houston Astros at Oakland Athletics at 9 p.m. Um, also, I'm going to be announced that they will continue the seven-inning doubleheaders, which I think, I don't, I don't really like it. I guess they're trying to, like, shorten the games for new fans, but it kind of is, like, not being true to baseball. Baseball's been nine-inning games for forever, so I don't know why they feel the need to change it for doubleheaders. I don't like it, because then starters easily can go a whole game, which I guess... I guess it helps you with your bullpen, you know. You usually have to have multiple bullpen arms in those double headers, but no, with the seven innings, you don't need it. And also, the extra inning rules, which I think is not good at all either, with the runner on second base to start, will be back for 2021. I mean, I was talking to my friend today, and he also said the same thing. Like, it, it's, it kind of just defeats the purpose of extra innings, you know. People will just be playing the extra innings, and then everybody will get a run in extra innings. It, it doesn't, it kind of takes it, it's kind of like a gimmick or something, you know, so I'm not sure how I feel about that. I guess also trying to shorten the games for new fans so they don't get bored, but I think extra innings is exciting anyway, so I don't, I don't, I don't know why. As long as they keep it out of the playoffs, I guess that's good. Then also one more final note on uh, baseball before we move on to the next segment. Trevor Bauer, the famous YouTuber, the hand side young pitcher has signed a deal with the Dodgers. The Dodgers. Mets fans feel betrayed right now. Three years, $120 million, with with options after every year, however, which I think could be used, like, if he, if he just wants a World Series ring, because I could see Trevor Bauer just wanting that. He could leave after, as soon as he wanted and just find his perfect team after getting a championship. So we'll move on to the next segment now. So that brings us to the NHL, where we will see the choke of the week. Yeah, I think that's going to be a new segment. And today, I don't know if I'm going to do a whole lot of hockey stuff. You might not see hockey every week because I'm not that big of a hockey fan. But I do watch a little bit of hockey. And this last week, Blackhawks played the Columbus Blue Jackets in a terrible or great game, depending on how you look at it. Well, maybe what fan base you're cheering for. So, or maybe what, which team you're cheering for. And so what it started off with is the Blackhawks were down a goal to the Blue Jackets after period number one. However, period number two would be much different as Ian Mitchell scored the first Blackhawks goal of the game with an assist from David Kampf and Matthew Highmore. Then, literally like less less than a minute, so that was 21 seconds into the second period, less than a minute apart, Nicholas Baden scores his first goal of the year. It's 2-1 Blackhawks. And then 
with the, at the 13:30 mark or 13:30 into the second period. Rookie Puish Shooter scores his sixth goal with assist from Patrick Kane and Nicholas Badin. We got 3-1 Blackhawks. They're down one nothing. Now they're up 3-1 with about seven six thirty left in the second period. Then, right go right at the end of the second period though, Columbus Blue Jackets fire back on a power play with a goal by Jack Rozovich. And it's 3-2 Blackhawks. So. But then in the third period, right away, Blackhawks, they're feeling good again. They get a goal right away, 29 seconds into the game, by Pat, or into the third period by Patrick Kane. It's 4-2 Blackhawks. Then, about five minutes, six minutes later, Boone Jenner, on a power play, scores his fourth goal of the year. It's 4-3. Then, a minute later, Dra- Jack Rozovich scores again. Fourth goal of the year. Gets his third and fourth goal of the year in this game. And it's back to 3-4. Then, the Blackhawks strike back, however. To save our relief from blowing it. Alex Debrinkit. With assist from Patrick Kane and Madison Bowie. At the thirteen oh five into the second uh, into the third period, five four Blackhawks are feeling good. All they have to do is go seven more minutes. Will they blow another lead? Fo- followed up by two Blue Jackets goals. Yes, they will. Michael Delzato and Kevin Stunland came in with goals about a minute apart to send the Blue Jackets ahead of the Blackhawks for good. As the black as the Blue Jackets won six to five over the Blackhawks, and that is your news from the NHL this week and your choke of the week. So next we're gonna check up on um, college football, which you won't see every week in the off season because you might see a little bit of if there's a major headline. You might see some college football, but other than that, the offseason's pretty dry in uh, college sports. So, But not this week because we had National Signing Day. For National Signing Day, I just want to cover some of the main players that committed and some of the some of the teams that had the best recruiting class. So we had um, JT Tolumalalu was the best player in the class as a defensive end. Five stars, obviously, went to Ohio State. Next, Corey Foreman, a defensive end, 6'4", 265, went to USC. Then, at number three player in the country of Leonard Taylor out of Miami, Florida. He's a defensive tackle, so a lot of good defensive line, defensive line um, talent in this class, and he's a... Uh, Going to Miami, staying at home, staying at home. We got J.C. Latham out of IMG Academy, an offensive tackle at six six three zero five, is going to Alabama. Alabama's yeah, breaking news, breaking news. Alabama's going to be good at football this year. And then finally, round out your top five recruits, we got Jack Sawyer, and he is a 
is another um, defensive end. So a lot of defensive ends highly recruited in this. And that he is also, he's 6'5", 248, heading to Ohio State. He's from Ohio, so that makes sense. Then next, we're going to go over the top teams. And number one team recruiting, Alabama, with 27 commits. Then at number two, we have Ohio State with 21 commits. Three is LSU with 23 commits. Four is Georgia with 20 commits. Five is Clemson with 19 commits. Then we have at number six, Oregon with 23 commits. Then at number seven, Texas A&M with 24 commits. And we got USC at eight with 22 commits. Number nine is Notre Dame with 27 commits. Number 10 is Michigan with 23 commits. Number 11 is Oklahoma with 16 commits. And a comeback year from Miami with 21 commits with the 12th best class. So that's that's good for Miami, you know. Had probably the best college football team ever in 2001 with Ed Reed. And so that is your college football news of the week and possibly of the next couple weeks. But anyway, National Signing Day, it's done. Alabama is good at football. So is Ohio State. Okay, next segment of the show, we'll be covering the NFL. So big news this morning, J.J. Watt and the Texans part ways. Texans cut J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt's getting up there in age, but man, since he's been drafted with the 11th pick in 2011, he's been the face of the franchise for the Texans, and he's been scaring quarterbacks of opposing teams since then as well. But the real question leading into this, with J.J. Watt gone, what will the Texans do with Deshaun Watson? Will he finally get his wish and get traded? Will he play? Will he um, retire? possibility and what do we think that the Texans would be willing to give up for Deshaun um as a it's it's got to be four first round picks or two with a great player or three first round picks and maybe a second with a player and three for it's got they're getting a lot of value for him that's that's all that you need to know also um I'm going to give you some teams that I think Deshaun Watson might go to. And first, we got the Jets. Now, the Jets would be straight up two-team trade, straightforward. The Jets give them the first-round pick, their first overall pick, or not the first overall pick, but highly-rated pick, number two overall. They give they have another first-round pick that they give them for this year, and they give them two more first-round picks for Deshaun Watson. Hi. Value first round picks, the Jets first round picks are. Um, so I think there could be a possibility. Also, I know Michael Vick talked to um. This kind of this might have seemed like a dark horse before, but I know Michael Vick talked to Deshaun Watson about maybe going to the Bears. Deshaun Watson wasn't really open to it at first, but I think Vick talked him into it. They have a great defense. He could probably keep Robinson around with them. Robinson would probably stay if Deshaun Watson went to the Bears. And all the 
Okay, well, not all, but what the Bears are really missing is a quarterback. They could have drafted Deshaun Watson with the second overall pick in Deshaun Watson's draft class. But what the Bears are really missing, not, I don't want to sound like the Vikings and Kirk Cousins, but they're they're really missing a quarterback. It's quite obvious that the defense is just carrying the team. And if they have any quarterback, I'm not saying they're going to the Super Bowl with Deshaun necessarily, but I'm definitely saying they are a playoff contender. Much more re- relevant than if they had um, Mitch Trubisky. But of course, this is the Bears don't get Carson Wentz, and I heard that they have like the top offer right now, though Carson Wentz could go to the Colts too. So you, if you're a Bears fan, you're hoping for Carson Wentz to go to the Colts. Then another team that you see going around is the Dolphins, which I really don't like that. The trade proposal would be sending like Tua Tonga Viola and a couple first to um to Houston and I, I don't I don't like giving up on Tua. You just use your first round draft. We have to remember that this was a, a bad Dolphins team. I know they finished five and eleven, they beat the Patriots at the end of two years ago, but um this Dolphins team, they're not super good. The fact that Tua was able to get them to that point where, oh, yeah, okay, I guess if Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't come in that one game, they're 9-7 and seven instead of 10-6. and six. That's still a great first year from Tua. Tua's electric. Tua's electric. He was electric at Alabama. I don't, I do not see any way that you can just move on from Tua, and especially now for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Tua is great. He's just getting into himself. And if the Dolphins trade to a, I think they're crazy. Um, but they, I'm just saying that. It's, I'm just, just, I'm not the Dolphins, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't get rid of Tua this early on. Uh, I'd say trust the process. So that's, um, they'll cover the NFL section of this week's podcast. And now we will move on to our final section. Okay, and this week we are going to be talking about some uh, some motorsports. We're not going to always be talking about racing all the time. I do watch a little bit of Formula One and a little bit of NASCAR when it's the biggest races of the year. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. This won't be every week, but maybe we'll talk a little bit about Formula One and NASCAR like every other week or... Uh, like every month or something like that. But anyway, I just thought we'd bring it up because Daytona 500 is this this week. It's currently on Friday night when I'm recording this, so the trucks are uh, racing right now. It might be over actually by now, but um, I'm I'm excited for the Daytona 500. You know, I I like the the group pack racing. It gets really exciting when they're they're running 200 miles per hour plus three wide through the field. So. For I so Alex, Alex Bowman will be on the pole, and then it'll be William Byron. So it's a front row Hendricks Motorsports, and also I'm gonna be a little bit more invested into the NASCAR this um year because Michael Jordan actually has a car. He has Bubba Wallace as his driver in the number 23 car. So it'll be cool to see Michael Jordan's car out there, and uh, I'll be cheering for them to do good. Also with the uh, Kyle Busch, Matt DiBetto are also some of my uh, favorite drivers. So we'll see. Um, 
for as a prediction, I think I'll I think I'll go with Michael Jordan's car. I'll go with Bubba Wallace to uh to win the Daytona 500. It's been Denny Hamlin the past two years, and I think it'd kind of be a fitting, ironic to see Michael Jordan win his first race as part car owner, and then his uh his partner Denny Hamlin to not win his third consecutive race as a driver, but as an owner. I think that'd be pretty cool. So uh, that's going to sum up uh, the auto sports section of this uh, week's podcast. And i like to thank everybody for watching because that wraps up the Ultimate Sports Fans podcast. And we'll see you next week with episode number two.